0: Blue wire
1: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? Nick, we are going to discuss
2: for a solid 40 minutes how Javon Carter got two all-star votes.
1: <laughs> That's what we're gonna break down. This is some real in-depth. This might go down as a documentary right here, but Jack, as always, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms.
2: Nick, we're actually going to talk trades now. We've already did a three-hour spaces the other day, but we didn't get the chance to put it up on our podcasting feed for Blue Wire. So we've got to do we're going to do it for the real ones, for the for the podcasters out there, for the, all our listeners. So we're going to dive deep into different proposals, different players, different targets, different rumors. This might be a long one, but Nick, what where I want to start is where you sort of started us on the spaces in terms of. The prototypes that the Nets should be targeting and that we've already heard some rumblings from reports like Mark Stein and the like. Who should the Nets be targeting in terms of the types of players?
1: Yeah, I think right off rip, you're looking at a three and D wing, you know, somebody that can impact both ends of the floor. You know, a guy that can provide you spacing offensively and also be a relative plus defensively. It doesn't have to be like an all NBA defense guy or a lockdown defender, but someone who's gonna help on the end of the floor. And especially when you have some guys that are, you know, mediocre to below average defenders, a la James Harden. So you wanna have someone that can cover up some of those little bumps and those misses out there. Um, And then after that, you're probably looking at a big, you know, I think there's two types of bigs you're looking at. You're looking at a big that can be a rim roller effectively, like more of a veteran presence and then give you some rim protection defensively, or you're looking for like a pick and pop big, but a true pick and pop in terms of out to the three point line, some real spacing at that five position, you know, LaMarcus gives you shooting, but he doesn't really stretch that far where, you know, a Mike Muscala might stretch out to the three point line and then give you a true seven footer to place in that. Lineup as well, or maybe if you're looking more for the rim roller switchy type, you know, a more developed uh, version of a Nick Claxon or somebody like that. And then I think the luxury item would be a backup point guard, you know, a buyout candidate, maybe a Goran Drogage or somebody on the cheap, cheap.
2: Yeah, maybe even a Kemba Walker. Yeah, I've seen people sort of discuss that a little bit as well. But Nick, in terms of the assets that the Neds do have, now they're not plentiful compared to seasons past, given what they gave up to acquire James Harden, but what do the Nets have? You know, we mentioned in you, you're quite good at sort of keeping on top of things like the TPEs, the amount of cap space, or well, obviously there is no cap space, but you know, the the picks that the Nets do have available, what, and obviously probably the players, I guess, as well, uh, that could go in some sort of package.
1: Yeah, I mean, we have the 2028 20, first round pick. Obviously that's pretty deep out and the Nets have a lot of first round picks going to Houston or they have a swap with them. so. you trade that that's definitely hurting your cupboard moving forward uh you have the 2026 second round pick and you have the 2028 second round pick and then also there's a 2025 second round pick from miami but from my understanding that's one of those heavily protected picks that's likely to never convey you know so I wouldn't necessarily include that. And then player-wise, obviously, you have the young guys. You have Nick Claxton. You have Cam Thomas. You have De'Ron Sharp. You know, I don't think the Nets would include Kessler Edwards, but that'd be another guy potentially. And then after that, you know, Bruce Brown, Paul Millsap, Javon Carter, I don't think those guys really carry much value. It would probably have to be like a Joe Harris level veteran or somebody up there. A lot of guys that I don't think the Nets are willing to trade unless it's for a real game changing player. You know, we're talking fringe All Star or literal All Star.
2: So Andrew Wiggins.
1: <laughs> I, I, yeah, I that that was surprising. Obviously, I haven't watched a ton of Warriors, but to see Wiggins starting in the West, I mean that that's just crazy.
2: This will be coming up against the All Star Andrew Wiggins uh, very very soon, probably by the time this episode drops, but. Yeah, Nick, you've covered it pretty comprehensively there. So, I guess in saying that, you know, you've got a, a little bit of your own dot going here. You've got some sort of targets. Who are your targets? Who is the, you know, the guys that fit into the molds that you discussed? And are they viable candidates, or are they sort of pie in the sky? Sort of, you know, maybe if the the nets are a little bit lucky and the other team's a little bit desperate.
1: Yes. Yeah. Shout out to Spaces because this kind of helped get some of the gears turning in my head because we got a lot of trade talk on there. But I think I tried to come up with three targets that are realistic in terms of who I want the Nets to acquire, how they could help, and would this team be willing to trade them. I think I look at Dory Finney Smith, um, Kenrich Williams, and Larry Nance Jr. You know, those are three guys that I think can provide a huge impact for this team on both ends of the floor. And I think they're. Acquirable, you know, they're guys that the Nets have enough assets to probably go after guys like that. You know, going after a bigger fish is going to be a little tougher. And we've heard Nick Batum, a guy mentioned a lot, but based off like recent comments from the Clippers and Ty Lu saying, like, we have no reason to lose, I'm unsure if they'd be willing to move a guy like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I saw someone in our replies or someone talked about, you know, Serge Barker as a buyer, it might have been Brian Windhalls as well, so we can maybe discuss that as a viability as well. We we'll get really stuck in those three that you allude to Nick rank them in terms of how much you want them and how good of a fit you think they would be wearing the black and white
1: oh man jack that's pretty tough i think you know you're looking at oh man larry nance junior was a guy that we were really obsessed with over in the off season and based off of how he played last year in cleveland he's looked really good this season i don't think it's been the same but obviously the lineups haven't been ideal in portland and a lot of the play of the players so You could probably make an argument for Larry Nance Jr. I think Dory Finney-Smith might be at the top of my list, though, just because of the wing position and the possibility of playing small. I think there is some small ball lineups where Kevin Durant literally plays the five, and then maybe you don't necessarily have to include a Larry Nance Jr., or maybe I just am a little too high on Nick Claxton, but I'd probably put Larry Nance second and then Kenrich Williams third. Um, I also think OKC is playing a little hard to get with him, so I don't know if you were willing to give up some of the assets that they're looking to get? You know, recent reports have them wanting a first-round pick for him.
2: Yeah, look, and I think that first-round picks aren't all the same. You know, you can protect it lottery-wise. You can protect it however much you sort of want to go. But, you know, I'll throw a few stats, I guess, that the listeners. Away. Throwing Finney-Smith this season, 10.3 points, 4.8 rebounds, 1.9 assists, nearly 45% from the field, and 36.5% from three. So. Three and D sort of fits that sort of prototype quite quite nicely. You know, having a, a career season in a lot of ways, you know, a really important defensive player to what the Dallas Mavericks do, um, and obviously you know quite quite a, a, quite a manageable asset in terms of you know his contract and stuff, which I'm sure that you know you probably got in front of you as well. Because what is Dorian Finney-Smith's contract status?
1: His contract status is he's going to be a free agent, I believe, at the end of the year, and he's making $4 million this season. And that's one of the reasons why people think he's, you know, a potential trade, traded up, trade target for the nets and other teams in the league is because dallas has a big decision this summer with brunson and dory finney smith in terms of you know are we going to pay these guys we're going to keep these guys we're going to try to move them i could see dallas maybe moving him and trying to acquire an asset from the nets to use and potentially a bigger trade because I've, i heard brought up uh, on the zach Lowe podcast like do you really want to extend finney smith and brunson to big contracts and then you're kind of stuck with that as your team Probably not, not with having Luca going to his prime. I think you want a little bit more flexibility and probably, you know, more talented players. You wanted to get him his co-star, and right now he doesn't have that.
2: No, exactly. So that's where, you know, things sort of do go in the the Nets' favor. And the teams that you did list as well, Nick, are, are all Western Conference teams. So yep. there's a bit of a stronger likelihood to go not into conference or into division which is why some of the Sixers' rumors around, you know, James Harden and such are, are always... Some, even harder to believe because of you know, where they stand as a, a division and conference rival. So, yeah, and for for the uh, for the record, Kenrich Williams as well, 7.1 points uh, this season, uh, 49.7% from the field, over 38% from three in 21 minutes of action. It's a solid enough rebounder as well. 0.9 steals a game. Uh, also a sort of decent defender. He's only 27 years old. Dwayne Finney-Smith is only 28 as well. So both of these guys... Uh, a right smack bang in their prime, it's so it, both of them give you you know things that the Nets do need. You know three point shooting, defense. You know the the role players sort of that you would crave as any sort of team. And obviously, you know there'll probably be other teams clamoring for Dorian Finney-Smith and Kemmerich Williams. It's just whether what what OKC their priorities are and what the Dallas Mavericks priorities are. You know, it's hard to sort of predict when it comes to a guy like Sam Presti and Mark Cuban, probably even harder. But for the record, Larry Nance Jr. this season, Nick, you know, having having a bit of a down year, at least statistically, but has been playing quite well of late. You know, sort of bounced back a little bit, as have the Portland Trailblazers, you know, in their form. 6.9 points a game, uh, 5.6 rebounds, two assists, a steal, 0.4 blocks. Uh, 51.5% from the field, but only 30.6% from three, which is the lowest since the 2017-18 season in Cleveland. You know, other than that, he's been around a sort of 35-ish point, uh, three-point score. Out of those three, Nick, whose three ball do you trust the most?
1: That's a great question. I think all three are pretty good three-point shooters. None of them, I would say, are elite. You know, Kenrich Williams, a guy that I don't think shoots a ton of volume, uh, Dory Finney-Smith has kind of up that, I think, since playing with Luca, You know, over five attempts this season, 36% and 39%, you know, the previous season. Larry Nance, like you mentioned, this year he hasn't really shot well. I don't think the volume's quite as high either. Last year was a little bit better, so... I think Dory Finney-Smith would probably be the guy I trust the most, and that's because he shoots a lot in the corners, and I think he would be able to generate a decent amount of corner threes on the nets playing with James Harden, you know, obviously Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, that just seems like a, a plausible option for him, and he's a guy that has been in an offense that really depends on the three ball, and that's been an area that he's worked on to improve, because early in his career, it wasn't a shot he could consistently knock down.
2: Yeah, I mean you look at volume Nick and I, and I think that you know you indicated the the volume that was right there and obviously you know the Dallas Mavericks as an offense last year not this year were alongside the Brooklyn Nets as one of the the better offenses in the league and you know Dorian Finney-Smith uh, is a part of that when he's in a good offense and a, a spaced floor you know he's going to hit some of those open shots so I think I trust DFS I've already given him a nickname, Nick. I think I trust Jordan Finney Smith probably the most in that sort of sense. Now, I put a bit of a tweet out the other day before our spaces, uh, a bit of a poll, sorry, uh, asking you know my followers the number one trade target. I listed Robert Covington, Kyle Anderson, and Larry Nance Jr. and also had a few replies from some people saying sort of, you know, uh, Robert Covington's probably the guy that got the most votes. Let me just double check. And some people were in on Batum as well. So Robert Covington seemed to be the the candidate that. Nets fans like the most, you know, Kyle Anderson wasn't necessarily as strong up there. Uh, Nicholas Batum as well. I guess, give me a, give me your thoughts on Robert Covington, Nick, because, you know, you, you sort of, I don't like saying poo-poo because it's just a, a weird way of saying poo-poo the idea of, of Nicholas Batum. So maybe let, let's have a little bit of a focus on Robert Covington and your thoughts on whether he's gettable, whether the uh, Portland are trying to trade him. And well, I guess in him in comparison to Larry Nance Jr., as a fit and as a trade candidate is he more likely or less likely to, to get traded if you're i mean i don't even know it's not neil or anymore what their front office and what their priorities are these days
1: yeah i think they're looking to probably get rid of nance covington nurkage you know there's even been some rumblings of norman powell and cj mccollum too and then maybe look to like retool in the summer with the assets you acquire around dame lillard or maybe move on from dame lillard so I think the thing with Covington that makes him less likely is, one, he can't fit into the TPE. Two, uh, he also is just coveted by a lot of teams around the league. Like, there's been just a lot of teams connected to Robert Covington, even former teams. I think the Timberwolves are one of those names. The Lakers are one of those names. Philadelphia has been one of those names. So I feel like the competition to acquire Robert Covington, he's always kind of been like – an analytic darling and a guy that a lot of teams have always tried to acquire and think that he could possibly push them over the top even when uh houston traded for him you know they essentially changed their entire style and he played a lot of five on that team so i think the competition to acquire robert covington makes it more difficult and then also the nets have to put together essentially a package of players and you have to convince portland that it makes sense for them to acquire this many players which they'll probably have to waive some of those guys and add maybe potentially to their cap for the deal that you're sending them. And it has to be better than the other team. So like in my eyes to acquire Robert Covington, it might uh, need to include a Cam Thomas. You know what I mean? And you might need to include, you might need to spice up the deal where, not to say that Robert Covington isn't better than some of the other guys we listed, but is the difference in drawing out all your assets worth it for Robert Covington over, you know, a Dory Finney-Smith?
2: That's a good point. And that's a decision for Sean Marks to make. He's in his age 31 season, you know, a a bit of a, Lower season in terms of the you know output you know seven point seven points four point seven rebounds so five point six rebounds, one point two assists one point four steals one point three blocks. That's where you know the stocks is where Robert Covington always sticks out and is one of the true leaders in that department. Thirty five point one percent from three you know a little bit of a dip uh, over last year where he was about at around thirty eight uh, percent, but he's taking four point seven of them so a, a pretty strong volume but also down from the season before as well. Now, I guess Nick, in an ideal world. Would you choose Robert Cummington over the other three candidates, discounting you know the fact that you know he might have to include Cam Thomas, you might have to do some finagling with the cap and get a little weird, funky and wacky? Would Robert Cummington be that ultimate guy, that small ball five, which would allow the Nets to thrive offensively and defensively?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just so tough to see how any of these guys could come in and fit. Like, how are they going to perform? Like you could easily make an argument that maybe Larry Nance Jr. In Brooklyn, this would be the potential best fit of his career. You know what I mean? Like, because he can provide you some vertical spacing because he does still have some hops and he provides you that three point shooting. He does a lot of similar things. I think off ball that Robert Covington does in terms of like help defense. And he's a little bit bigger of a player. Now, it's tough is, because the one thing that Robert Covington gets overhyped with a little bit is his on-ball defense. And he's really not that great of an on-ball defender. And I think when we did the spaces, Matt Brooks brought up that – it got to a point where he was even getting targeted in series to get switched on. So that kind of makes him a little bit less attractive, especially if you're giving up all this stuff. So it's like trying to add a player without creating another minus, not to say that any of the other players I listed are perfect players. But like I said, if you're giving up so much for this guy, are you sure he's going to be the guy that puts you over the top? Part of me feels like maybe Covington's been a little bit overrated the last couple of seasons, because like, it hasn't really come to fruition. And then I think back to when Houston traded for him and he really underperformed in the postseason. Some of that could have been being overworked, but like I feel like the name Robert Covington might be better than what his actual performance and impact might be at this point in time.
2: Yeah, he sounds like what a lot of people think of Five Guys. You know, I'm a I'm a massive proponent of Five Guys. I love it, you know. I'm, I
1: just got five guys tonight. <laughs>
2: and, and look, it's expensive, it's overpriced. And it tastes good, but then you're sort of left wanting a little bit more. And, like, was that really worth it? You know, did I really, you know, get what I what I paid for in a lot of sense? Now, oh, me and you, you know, we're Five Guys stands in, in a lot of ways. And uh, we are Blue Wire. Is not, uh, this, this podcast is not sponsored by Five Guys.
1: By but if you want to send us a free burger, we're cool.
2: <laughs> yes, please. Shake Shack. I mean, it might get a little bit cold getting sent from America and or the UK. But <laughs> saying that, I do understand, I guess, your reservations about it. But I do also think to make the counterpoint that, in a switching style of system, that's where Robert Covington does thrive. And if you have James Harden on your roster, you're generally going to play a switching style of defense. So, and we did see, you know, them perform pretty well, you know, in the postseason, you know, defensively at least. And you know, it wasn't necessarily because of him, um, but he was a, a big part of that. So, I think that there are, if the Nets were to acquire Robert Covington, and it, it would be certainly surprising, but I'd certainly be pretty happy as well.
1: Yeah, it's just like, it's just hard to compete with a lot of the other offers. I think that's, and then the Nets end up overpaying. And then like, I'm not to say that the Nets shouldn't overpay to acquire a player they think can put them over the top because that would be a huge rotation piece. I think adding any of the guys we mentioned, and I love Nick Batum on the Nets. I think there's a lot of reasons why he'd be a great fit for this team. But like I said, I'm just not sure if the Clippers are going to move him unless you kind of give them something they really want.
2: No, I don't think that that's the likelihood. And I also, I mean, I was having a bit of discussion and I did point this out when we did the spaces also about the fact that the Los Angeles Clippers first round pick is owed to the OKC Thunder this year. Yep. So their desire to move assets would have to be, they'd have to get something in return that would be of equal or or greater value in a lot of respects. Now, this season for the record, because I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a stats man today, Nick. I'm feeling the stats. I don't know why. Got B-ball ref open, got a, about eight tabs open trying to keep up with it all because... Sometimes the Google Doc can be a bit confusing. But these are the stats for Nicholas Batum this year. Uh, Nine points, uh, 4.7 rebounds, 1.6 assists, uh, 0.7 blocks to go with the one steal. He's shooting 49.2% from the field and 41.8% from three on basically five attempts. That's juicy. That's the number that is juicy as hell. Big juice, as Mr. Paddy Mills would like to say
1: i think he has a high basketball iq too you know he's just kind of a heady player he was able to play small ball five for them last year has some real length i feel like that gives you some uh different matchup ideas and i think you know, we don't have a ton of super lanky players on this team. There's a couple in Kevin Durant, Kessler Edwards and Nick Claxton, like guys that can really use that wingspan to have an impact on the floor. I think adding a guy like Batum just provides that level of versatility. And I think that's always something you look at. And honestly, like he can handle the basketball a little bit, create a touch, like not, you know, he's not going to beat guys one-on-one and get to the rim every time, but like, he can make a couple great passes out there. He's just a player that's pretty good at a lot of things, and they're the type of players I think you want around stars—guys that don't necessarily have major weaknesses.
2: Yeah, I mean, in Charlotte and and in Portland, you know, he, there were seasons where he was averaging five plus assists a night. Yeah, you know, his ball handling and creation, and you know, I think it's the sort of you know the, the style and upbringing and development that he's had, you know, coming from France yep. and stuff. You know, he's 6'8 with a seven-foot wingspan, as you alluded to. You know, it's pretty goddamn positive. So I think that Batum is... Nick, if you were to vote in that poll, and I had of given... You know, and I guess we can discuss, I guess, probably... These are the five candidates that I think a lot of people probably want the most. You can maybe throw in a Rashawn Holmes, who we discussed on the spaces, which I thought was an interesting candidate as well. And we can uh, talk about him in a little bit, and then probably dive into some of the, the trade proposals that we did get from some of the listeners and some of the followers. Now, putting into account the guys that we have discussed, rank them in terms of your desire for them on the Nets. Is it the 2 at number one? And then we can have a chat about the likelihood of any of these guys actually wearing a Brooklyn Nets uniform.
1: You know, part of me just goes to Batum right off Rip is because I've seen him have the success in the situation with the star players in a playoff situation. So that makes you feel the most comfortable of him fitting into this role in Brooklyn next to the other star. So that kind of instantly pops to mind at number one. Who's number one for you, Jack?
2: I would have Batum without a question. I think it's pretty easy to sort of say now. I think all the other guys you could, you know, shuffle them, throw them in a bag, pick the names out of a hat, and I'd be very happy. I think Cambridge Williams probably belongs in the tier at, at the bottom. I think you have DFS and Larry Nance Jr. You know, probably there as well, uh, and Robert Covington probably second. I still think that, despite the fact that you know he's had a down season and he might not be the ideal fit, I just am intrigued by the the fact that, and, and I mean, look, we're talking about Batum and Covington. These guys are also you know vets in a lot of ways. You know, playoff experience. Playoff experience. You know, they've, they've been around the wings a little bit. So they know, uh, you know how to step up when the big time matters. And, and Batum's been a big part of international basketball also. So
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed.
2: Look, those are the guys that make sense to me, Nick um, in terms of likelihood is I think we've probably discussed enough about Batum's likelihood uh, enough probably about Robert Covington's likelihood because of you know the packages that you've alluded to in terms of, DFS, still calling him DFS because I'm a big fan of the acronym. Uh, the ski, the, the the jet ski, Larry Nance Jr. and Ken Rich Williams Kenny Hustle. I think that's one of his. Names. Yeah. Trying to do, trying to oh, got to get on the nicknames because it might create some good uh content for our shirts over at T Public as well. So in terms of all of that, who is the most likely guy that you could see? And obviously, even if it is a Ken Rich Williams, I'm sure all of us would be happy just to add to the rotation. But
1: what do you think? Yeah, I think Kenrich Williams, Kenny Hustle, as you said, Jack, it would be the most likely one to be traded. He doesn't really fit the OKC timeline. Obviously, we have reports that he's happy there. They're happy to have him, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, we know that, you know, Pressey's trying to make moves for the future. Maybe they want to keep him around, but it just seems like OKC would be the team most interested in a young player or some type of pick or just even being part of a deal. And then after that, I think, you know, does Portland really want to trade Larry Nance Jr.? I'm not 100% sure. They just acquired him this past offseason. And like we said, with DFS, like, it kind of comes down to maybe if they trade Jalen Brunson, then they're just going to keep DFS because they feel more comfortable and he's more of a a complementary role player that fits with so many different systems.
2: No, that's totally fair. So I think I I agree with you on that. You know, I think that any guy that can just – be a seventh or eighth man in this rotation, add a sense of reliability, stability, st- all the itties in the world, ability, reliability. Are there any other itty words that I'm missing, Nick? You know, I-, I haven't done enough world today. I've only done a-, a couple of rounds on a couple of different devices. But no, in terms of anything else, any other discussion points you wanted to talk about with uh, probably, you know, the the primate, the-, the five guys, you know, uh, pr- targets that we've sort of talked about, or maybe for other people to shake shack or, you know, the in and out targets that we've just discussed.
1: Yeah, I toss Mike Muscala into that mix of players that we just discussed. I think that he's like a big, like we've talked about on the spaces, can provide you that, you know, three ball, a true, you know, spacer at the five position. And sometimes looks good, sometimes looks bad. You know, we saw the Lakers trade for him a couple seasons ago. It didn't really work out for them, but he's looked better in OKC. I think he knocked down a couple threes against the Nets. And I think also some of it comes down to what do you think is a bigger issue for the Nets and what are you preparing for in the postseason? You know, if you're preparing for the Bucs, you know, Larry Nance might go to the top of your list because he's a guy you feel that you can throw at Giannis Antetokounmpo. If you're more concerned with maybe the Miami Heat or something like that, you feel more comfortable playing smaller, playing Nick Claxton and getting another forward and playing that, you know, switching style and doing all that. Or maybe you're already forward thinking to the finals for the sons of the warriors. And then you're thinking less about a big and more about a forward because that's, what's going to be more important. So I think that also is part of the discussion and also how the Nets are looking at Nick Claxton in terms of like, is he staying with his team? Is he going to be traded? If you keep Claxton, then maybe you feel less, um, Cla- less, it- yeah, less inclined than perfect Jack. Less inclined to trade for a big. And if you, you know, don't feel comfortable in clacks being one of your big rotation pieces, then you, you know, trading for a big moves to the top of your list. And like we've talked about in a ton of recaps, is like a real issue with the Nets bigs is like we get a little something from you, but you're a minus on the other end, or like we get something here, you're a minus there, a plus there, a minus here. Like there's no no guy that can't be attacked. And like I love the way Lamarcus Aldridge has played for the Nets, but he just screams like a player that's going to get played off the floor in a playoff series. You know, the Nets might be able to get a couple minutes after some of those pick and pop jumpers and maybe a little bit of drop coverage. But against the right team, he's just going to get cooked.
2: He is. So, uh, you know, big men is, is something certainly to keep an eye on with some of the candidates that we have discussed. Now, let's get stuck into the next. Jack,
1: I got a quick question for you. Do you right. think that the Nets are less likely to trade for a big at the trade deadline because they feel more confident that they could potentially acquire one in the buyout market?
2: Uh, yeah, possibly. You know, I think that the buyout market is an intriguing sort of proposition in terms of, you know, we discussed Gary Harris. I'm not really sure other guys that could be available there. You know, the sort of guy that you're looking for in that sort of regard is like a Bismack biombo type. And, yep. and you sort of, you know, get but. And I, I mean, Chris Paul is making Bismack Biombo look like fucking prime. Well, Chamberlain, uh, apologies for, for the profanities. But yeah, insane. <laughs> no,
1: it's really that crazy because Bismack Bionbo wasn't <laughs> even in the league and all of a sudden he's looking super good. But you, car- you start to wonder, it's like maybe James Harden could do that too.
2: Yeah, I think that that's where you sort of look. Okay, you find a big, a buyout big or a trade big that fits with James Harden. And the guys that fit with James Harden are you know, rim runner types, the Clint Capellas. The Dwight Howard, Nicholas Claxton, Daron Sharp, pick and roll candidates that allow him to get some space and attack the rim with a bit more purpose and and utilize his skill set a little bit more. Unfortunately, you know he's not the the guy that used to just like you know it's Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant can play with Kessler, Edwards, Daron Sharp, Javon Carter, and pull out a win out of the out of his ass because he's just that brilliant. James Harden is a prime A superstar, but he's not the prime A A plus 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 the one guy that it, that Kevin Durant is so. I think you sort of look at the candidate that could, maybe you've got some names for me, Nick, that could, could be thrown out there. But I think that it has to be a sort of pick and roll guy, maybe even a, above a sort of stretch big type. But I don't think, I don't hate the stretch big either because it also gives Harden the space to attack and maybe have a pick and pop candidate that is more of a stretch style than what LaMarcus Aldridge is. Because I think that that sort of pick and roll fit with those two, while it's been, I, I would say, average to good, hasn't been amazing
1: yeah it's been better than expected i think probably though so that's always a plus i think also you look at it is like when the team is fully healthy Kyrie, you know KD, james harden all on the floor and you know probably joe harris or patty mills and then you have a real five playing now you're pulling that big out of the paint you know a real spacing five and now there's just a lot of room to operate and now like you could even run some pick and roll with Kevin Durant and James Harden, which just seems extremely deadly. And I think that could be something that the Nets could get into in the postseason a little bit more, even, you know, Kyrie, Katie, pick and roll, pick and pop stuff, because there's just so much room to operate and every step becomes a real problem. And especially if, you know, like I said, you have Joe Harris or Patty Mills or both guys on the floor. So that's where I think the pick and pop big becomes enticing. And it also is like, again, it gets back to Nick Claxton. How much confidence do you have in Claxton? Is he a guy that you're going to be able to rely on? Can he run the pick and roll in the playoffs when the teams are forcing him to a million short rolls? Is he going to make the right read in those situations? That's just something else to consider there too. So I I almost feel like this year though, it's been more rumblings about buyout guards rather than buyout big. So now that That's just, like, the only really buyout big that's come to mind, and I haven't been super in-depth in, like, researching this, but Robin Lopez has been a name that's been popped up. But after that, I've heard about Goran Dragic, Kemba Walker, Gary Harris as buyout guards. You know, have you heard of any other, you know, notable names?
2: Thad Young, maybe? It just feels
1: like the Spurs don't want to do that, and that would be a crazy one.
2: I mean, if the Nets could get Thad Young on a buyout, I mean, I think other teams would probably they could definitely provide an asset in a lot of respects to, for him. I think he's good enough to, to give an asset, you know, for sure. So we'll we'll see how it does pan out. But, yeah, the guards are the guys that sort of stick out, you know, like a Tory Craig, I think, has been mentioned, uh, abandoned about a, a little bit on Twitter. I think last year I was clamoring for him, you know, when he was on the Phoenix Suns for for the, for the Sean Marks to acquire him. So I certainly wouldn't hate it, you know, uh, 12 months later to to get Tory Craig. But we'll see how it does pan out. So, Nick, any other sort of talking points before we get into, I guess some, because we've already discussed a lot of these guys, we don't need to really discuss the trade packages, but we have plenty of other guys uh, that some really smart listeners and followers have, have given us.
1: Yeah, I think we'll probably hit another trade show before the deadline, so we'll pop in some more names then. But I think for today, this has been some guys connected to the Nets that seem pretty likely, but let's jump into proposals.
2: Let's jump in indeed, my friend. So via Stephen Redacted, at Stephen Furkey on Twitter. Now, this one seems quite outlandish, but I like it at the same time, Nick. It's viability and likelihood, not as likely at the same time. John Collins goes to the Brooklyn Nets in return. Joe Harris, Bruce Brown, and Nick Claxton go to the Atlanta Hawks. Now, there's been rumblings of John Collins before, and here's... You know, I guess his relationship with Trey Young and the franchise and whatever. Nick, obviously, I don't think that we're, we think this is going to happen. But we've also heard that Kevin Durant say that John Collins is one of the best slipping players when it comes to the pick and roll that he thinks is in the NBA right now. We're talking about those pick and and roll, pick and pop bigs. John Collins would be absolutely sensational.
1: Yeah, I think if you look at this trade, you know, John Collins, you put him with James Harden, you put him with the other stars and then potentially Patty Mills in there. Offensively, you might break some offensive rating records. Like, it's really that good. And John Collins is an A1 vertical threat. He's a guy that can throw down monster, monster dunks, and he can shoot the three ball. Defensively, he's improved. There's still room for improvement. He's not giving you the same stuff some other guys are. He's He's got some switchability to him. I think from the Nets perspective, you know, if you do trade Joe Harris, you'd have to have another trade lined up to acquire probably another shooter on the roster, because as we've seen over the last couple you know months, last couple games, not enough shooting there. And then also, I think the Hawks don't really want this trade either, because I don't think the Hawks are looking to add more players to the roster. They're looking more so for a two for one or you know three for one and trying to make that real upgrade to push them to the next level. And John Collins is one of their best players. He's he's potentially on the block, but I just I don't know if this really works out.
2: It doesn't work out for the Nets. Oh, no, it doesn't work out for the Hawks, sorry. This yeah. would be incredible for... And again, to throw out the stats, because the b-ball ref is open, Nick. 16.8 points, 7.9 rebounds, 2 assists, 53.6% from the field, 41.4% from three. I was shocked when I saw that number. Um, He is a tremendously talented player, and he's only getting better. Don't think it's going to happen, but, you know, a man can dream, as they say, Nick. So yeah. I'll I'll get to some more of the replies and now. I've got two separate tweets and I'm sort of going in between. So uh,
1: do so try to confuse me. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I apologize. So I'm sort of right now I'm on the one, the most recent one. We'll focus on that one, Nick. So you can sort of scroll down with me. Russell and Fro, he asked, not really a proposal, but how would you rank these Nets assets in order of market value? Cam Thomas, Nick Claxton, Devon Sharp, Javon Carter, Paul Millsap and Miami's 2025, a second rounder. I'll give my answer to this. The last three, you can sort of discount as assets at all because they're, they're not really assets. They're just filler in some sort of type. But in the, the three at the top with Killer Cam, Clack City, and King Sharp, that's where it gets a little bit intriguing. I think Nick Claxton is probably the number one candidate out of those. I think Cam Thomas would be number two, and Darren Sharp would be number three for me. I'm guessing you're probably similar to me, Nick.
1: Yeah, same as you, Jack. I think you would look at the Klaxon and Cam Thomas. There'd be potential for them to switch. I think Klaxon's more attractive to uh, a team that is trying to be good sooner rather than later, where Cam is, makes the most sense for like a pure rebuild. But you could also say the same thing for Nick Klaxon, both really young. I think there's potential for Cam Thomas to be a, a 20 points per game score at some point in his career. I'm not saying it's a lock to happen. And then obviously there's a little concern with Claxton and his health issues, you know, has hardly really played a, even a half a season in the NBA at this point. So you want to, you know, make sure that that guy is durable and then Claxton's due for the contract. So I think I could hear an argument for Cam Thomas being number one just because he's still also a little bit more unknown and sometimes that makes you even more attractive.
2: Yeah, I think DJ might be a little bit offended by our lack of love for Daron Sharp, but Daron Sharp, he could be... a. A really really
1: solid center. Like, I I don't want to, like, shit on his possible career. Like, I don't think De'Ron Sharp will ever be an all-star center, but that's not to say he can't have a good NBA career.
2: And I just don't know what he is yet because I think I've seen the least of him in terms of, you know, his development. You know, I've seen real offense. I I know what I saw out of him in the draft, and Mm -hmm. I'm sort of – the similar sort of things in terms of, like, an incredible rebounder. But I haven't seen as much more defensively from him, whereas I've seen some more promising things from, from Cam Thomas in that regard. And you know, Kevin Durant's got him under his wing, and it's a good wing to be under. There's no doubt about it. Um, any other thoughts uh, on that sort of uh, tweet and questioning before I get to a few more?
1: Yeah, and just another thing on Sharp, it's just that body type and skill sets, you know, limited in the NBA as it kind of gets to more positionless and more three point shooting. But like we talked about on some previous shows, it's like maybe he can improve his athleticism and that'll help him open up some different things in his career.
2: Definitely. Uh Will Jackson at Will Nets fan would love to hear about what type of player you want to see the Nets grab. Nick already alluded to that at the start of the episode. And who you think the Nets are should consider moving. We already answered the, those as well. I guess this is the question that was asked of sort of a lot of general NBA podcasts and they were sort of gave the pretty- Standard answer. Who is the most likely to be moved? You know, I think discounting Paul Millsap, if you got, say, Javon Carter, Bruce Brown, these sort of guys, who, who do you think is the most likely? And I, I think maybe this is where you can sort of point out the fact that, you know, Bruce Brown's qualifying offer means he would have to approve a trade
1: yeah I think that makes it tougher with Bruce Brown because he has to approve the trade but he's maybe more attractive to another team because he doesn't have another year on his contract where I believe Javon Carter has 3.9 next season so you know that's something you know maybe also there could be a team that believes in Javon Carter but I will say like if he's not excelling in this situation with the Nets it's hard to see him in many other situations playing super well so you know both guys could be traded I think they're Relatively likely to be traded, but it's not due to their value, it's due to their contract number.
2: Definitely. So, one to keep an eye on, but uh, obviously, Nick did a really good job of explaining his answers to those other ones as well. Uh, we've got KC at not underscore KC, who's a really great follow, by the way, guys. Check him out. Uh, I'm pretty sure I can't see the name, but that looks like Chim, Chim, Chuma Okiki. I'm not only good yep. with the names, Nick. I'm talking to Corey Waldron. Um, Chuma <laughs> Okiki. Uh, in return for Paul Millsout, Bruce Brown, and the 2028 first. What are your thoughts on Chumo Kiki?
1: Yeah, I think he's an interesting player that really hasn't done a lot in the NBA. You know, he's showed some promise this year with the Magic, but he's not a guy that you're you're acquiring for a championship run just because of his lack of experience. Obviously, he missed the entire season last year due to an injury. Uh, this would not be where I send the first round pick. This just, I would probably rather send a first round pick for just someone I have more confidence in, even if they're not worth it. I just, you you this would just be a player that you can't really acquire for a championship run because you literally have no idea what it's going to be.
2: For the record, Chimo Kiki, 7.6 points per game, 4.5 rebounds, 1.4 assists, 1.4 steals, 0.4 blocks, 48.3% from the field, 27.7% from three on 4.6 attempts per game last season that was at 34.8 percent so he is an intriguing intriguing prospect and I think I've heard Matt Brooks you know salivate you know at him a little bit before as well as a lot of other Nets analytic darlings so he's certainly an intriguing prospect and if you're sort of like doing it golden state style in terms of the way you're building a team with like you know your Kaminga, your Wiseman your Moody and, and these sort of guys to go along with a superstar status maybe that's the way that the you know, Sean Mars could go but you know I think that you know the the number one thing in that is maybe if you put some heavy protections on that first, maybe it would increase the likelihood. But who knows? Uh, the other one, Nick was Nick Batum for Bruce Brown and a Miami 2025 first. I think that that's where it's more likely you switch around those picks. A lot of people uh, that we chatted to on the spaces were quite shocked at you know the first round pick for Nick Batum. Uh, again, you know he's age 33 or whatever, but. You have to be pretty ruthless in the in the desire for a championship. Sometimes you have to give up assets. And you know the, the 2028 pick. Who knows where the Nets will be in six, seven years time? I said I hope the buzz is going strong and even better than ever. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know the, things change with the Brooklyn Nets so quickly that you know my head is my head spins on a daily basis when I wake up to a notification. So but I think that Batum is the pie in the sky candidate that a lot of us do want is the acquirable. Not sure.
1: Yeah. I think this is what I would do in a situation like that is, yeah, you have to get up the first, but I'm asking the Clippers for a second or two back just to give yourself some type of draft pick moving forward. And I think it's important to note too, is people are like, Oh, the Nets have no picks. Well, a lot of the picks are gone due to a swap with Houston. So the Nets are still going to have a first round pick in that draft. It's just a debate of where it's going to be. You know, it could be a great pick. It could be a terrible pick. Who really knows? It depends on the status of the Rockets and the Nets at the time of those drafts. But I think, you know, this framework works, like you said, with an upgrade with the picks. And just to go over... Uh, That Miami 2025 pick, I'm on Real GM, and this is what it has for it. Miami's 2025 second-round pick to Indiana, protected for selections 38 to 60, or to Brooklyn, protected for selections 31 to 37. Miami's obligation to Indiana or Brooklyn will thereafter be extinguished. So that tells me that there's no way for this pick to convey, and it's a fake second-round pick. Um, It's still available on the things because it technically could still be traded, but in my head, it, it's impossible for it to convey. So I don't really understand the point of it.
2: Yeah, I guess it's like the the gorgeous Cajun seasoning. It's just it's always there, always there when it comes to the five guys. I don't know if that was, <laughs> I don't know if that was a good analogy. Uh, I'm, I'm trying. At
1: first, I was like, Cajun seasoning. What is he talking about? I was like, oh, yeah, the fries.
2: <laughs> there, we go, there we go. Now, we'll get to the two other trades uh, from Casey. He's got some good ones. Uh, Donny Finney-Smith for Bruce Brown in that 2028 first. I like that. Um, and then we talked about Mike Muscala, and we talked about Cambridge Williams. Well, he's got those two guys coming to the Nets Mill Millsap, James Johnson, Bruce Brown, and the 2028 first. Nick, obviously, Casey's a, a similar thinker to you. What are your thoughts on both of those trades and the the proposals and packages?
1: Yeah, I think as, it's like the Dory Finney-Smith one is just kind of like similar to the to Nick, Nick Batum one in the sense that we swapped out there to a first. Maybe you can get, you know uh dallas to give you a second back even a heavily protected one but i think you pull the trigger on this and you know you could convince maybe dallas can convince themselves they could utilize bruce brown given they have some space lineups with kp at the five so that could be an option that's on the table and then you know with the okc thing we kind of mentioned on the spaces sam Presti is not going to be interested in second round picks if you throw that first at him for both guys it might be enough to acquire them uh, you may have to include a De'Aaron Sharp or somebody in this trade to kind of sweeten it for them. Because I, I do think that Mike Muscala and Ken Rich Williams are going to be guys that teams are trying to acquire because OKC is a known place to land some role players for your playoff run.
2: For the record, Mike Muscala, 8.1 points per game, 0.5 assists, 0.4 steals, 0.6 blocks, 2.9 assists, an effective field goal percentage of 60.7. And a large portion of that is because he shooting from the arc on 3.8 attempts, uh, 46.2% from the field, only playing 13 and a half minutes per game. So probably worth extrapolating some of those numbers more maybe like per 36 or per 100 possession because those are some pretty gaudy numbers from uh, Mr. Mike Muscala.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, Mike Muscala is not a lock to really be a great you know, acquisition, but there is potential for him to really hit. And even if you're playing him this more role, it's also a different look this team can provide that they don't really have the option to. Like I said, LaMarcus doesn't really go out that far. He's not really a super willing three-point shooter. And Moscales, you know, still 6'10", 6'11", can block some shots. You know what I mean? It's not like he's a small player out there. So, And I think as a, a rim roller, he's had a couple nice dunks in the past. I want to say he had a poster in Brooklyn, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's still got a little bit, you know, just because a person's in their 30s, he's in his age 30 season. You know, as a person who is age 31, I've still got, you know, some hops. The hops aren't as high as they used to be, but, you know, a little bit springy every now and then, Nick, every now and then. Just uh,
1: got to be the right day.
2: Got to be the <laughs> right day. Make sure I stretch a lot. Uh, we'll get to some other ones. Uh, at, at Gino Shapiro, NY Nets OG. This probably allows me to talk about, I guess, some of the reports from Mark Stein, you said Bruce Brown for anyone who can shoot. Well, Mark Stein reported today that the Nets are looking, you know, in terms of the package that they want to, in offloading Paul Melsap, is acquiring another shooter, someone who can space the floor. Now, who that is, is anyone's guess. You know, Ben Malcolm has sort of been brought up, you know, quite a few times by a lot of trade proposals that have been thrown our way. I can't think of, you know, many other sort of spaces that sort of fit into that mold. But the Nets do need shooting, especially if Joe Harris is going to be out for an extended period. Now... In terms of that, Nick, is there other names that do spring to mind?
1: I mean, we mentioned what was on the space is Ben Malcolmore is possibly a guy that you could trade with Portland. You know, again, all of these deals, like no one's going to give you a player for free and the Nets have such limited assets. They really have to be picky and choosy on what they do. Do I think anyone's going to give you a quality player for Paul Mills? That probably not, but maybe you could get a second round pick and then flip that for Ben Malcolmore and maybe like a three team trade or something along those lines. So that's what I would hope for. You know, it's going to be hard, I think, to find maybe even a specific player, you know, Ah, uh, it's just, it's tough. You know, Millsap, I just think, doesn't really have much value, and there's just so much leverage, and the same thing with Bruce Brown. Like, most teams know that the Nets are trying to trade these two players, and neither of them really can shoot, and the Nets need shooting. And it's also like, if you're in the East, why are you helping arguably the team that's a favorite to win it all even more?
2: Yep, that's it. So we'll move on to Nitish Sharma at Nitfish3. Bit of a wild package. Malcolm Brogdon and Miles Turner for Kyrie Irving and Lamarcus
1: Aldridge. Yeah, I think this one's just kind of a one that was thrown out there. Obviously, Miles Turner's injured right now. Um, the Nets aren't gonna trade Kyrie Irving because of his relationship with Kevin Durant unless something drastic were to happen. And you know, Malcolm Brogdon, I think, is also potentially out for the season. There was something up with him where he's dealing with a severe Achilles soreness. So Not a player I think I'd look to acquire. And uh, even, like, LaMarcus, it'd be kind of messed up to trade him after he came out of retirement to rejoin the team. So both Kyrie and LaMarcus, two of probably Kevin Durant's favorite players on the team, very unlikely.
2: Yeah, very unlikely indeed. Now, this is more about the packages, Nick, because it's talked about, you know, these players and Dorian Finney-Smith, Robert Covington, all those sort of guys. So this is via at uh, Zorday4PF on Twitter. Dorian Finney-Smith goes to the Nets. The Rockets get Dwight Powell, Cam Thomas, and a Dallas Mavericks 2025 first rounder. The Mavericks get Paul Millsap, Eric Gordon, and Bruce Brown. What are your thoughts on that package? And I guess, you know, the Nets essentially giving up Cam Thomas, Bruce Brown for Dorian Finney-Smith.
1: Yeah, I think all of it really comes down to is how much do you value Cam Thomas? You know, is this the trade you're willing to send him out in? Dorian Finney-Smith is clearly going to make you a better team this year and this postseason there's there's really no argument for that you know what i mean there's no cam thomas is going to be more impactful than dory finney smith i love cam thomas i love what he can do there's a chance he won't even see a playoff minute unless it's in garbage time and that's not a shot at him but if the nets are healthy they don't really necessarily need his skill set you know maybe you try to swap out the first round pick for cam thomas and you keep cam in the situation but i think at the end of the day you might end up just pulling the trigger on this to solidify yourself as a better team going into this year, especially with all the James Harden drama. And we know championship windows can literally end in a snap.
2: They really can. You know, we saw them end in a snap because of Kyrie Irving's ankle and the hamstring that belongs to Mr. James Harden. Now, I'll push back somewhat because of literally the thoughts you just provided when we we're talking about Kyrie Irving and Lamar Dordridge. Cam Thomas might be one of Kevin Durant's favorite teammates as well. And we've sort of, we know how this franchise has, you know, worked behind the scenes, you know, the past, ever since Kevin Durant has stepped foot on the court, everything has been to acquiesce to his needs, his wants. Now, if, is Sean Marks going to consult Kevin Durant in, you know, the trade proposals that he does make? Maybe, but maybe he's, you know, he's not Rob Polinka and just trading for Russell Westbrook, like, because LeBron James wants it, wants it. So that's where I've I'm, I'm pushed back just a little bit.
1: I think also you can make an argument maybe the Nets need to get like a second round pick back in this deal from Houston or something. I think it's it's very hard to gauge Cam's value. You know, obviously he was a late first round pick, but he's outperformed that already. And he showed the potential potentially being, you know, more so a lottery pick. And like I said, you know, worst case scenario for him seems like a, a career six man and best case scenario seems like an all-star scorer.
2: Definitely. Uh, we've got a couple more um i think we might save some of the james harden talks so sorry to alec uh till a little bit later who for some reason thinks that james harden is going to be acquired for paul Reed and ben simmons no thank you but we've got one from champion at Lederic, l-a-d-e-r-i-c now these trades are a bit experimental also Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris for James Harden and trade number two, Nicholas Claxton and Bruce Brown and Javon Carter for Jonas Valanciunas.
1: Yeah, right off rip, the Harris and Simmons one can not work from a salary perspective. Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris are making like 60 plus mil. You know, James Harden is not making that number. Uh, The Nets could obviously get there with some other stuff. But Tobias Harris, based off of just like recent podcasts and listening to some NBA reporters, is viewed as one of the worst contracts in the NBA. And honestly... At this point in time, and I'm not saying he can't ever be a great player again, Ben Simmons' contract is not looking great either. You know, you're looking at somebody who's making $35 million next year, 37 $40, can not shoot. Free throw shooting is a big concern. Hasn't necessarily been great in the postseason. Has he been in the best situation to perform? Probably not, but not guys that i would trade for, and i also want to say this like and we'll get into james harden talk a little bit later i think james harden is being extremely underappreciated by nets fans in terms of what he does on the court especially in the games that kyrie irving and kevin durant do not play he is essentially the engine to this team and constantly has the ball in his hands and like you might think it's a ball hoggy but there's literally guys that just can't do it on this team. Like we saw against Denver. Yeah. They put together some good possessions, but a lot of it was like transition offense and a little bit of luck in Denver, not playing well. So like, I think you need to appreciate having a point guard, a facilitator of the level of James Harden, because, you know, we had to watch the likes of like (laughs) some, some very bad point guards over the last 10 years.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's always looking to what is the next thing. You know, when you have your five guys, you're like, oh, can I get a milkshake as well with that? Or, am i am going to get an ice cream? And I'm going to get dessert? I'm going to get some donuts? I'm going to get. Just some
1: enjoy food? the burger.
2: Just enjoy the goddamn burger, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I mean, it's a bloody delight, as is James Harden. Maybe burger isn't the best comparison for him, given all the fat jokes that he's got in the yeah. But we're sticking with it. We're always having fun here. So, yeah, don't just appreciate what we've got sometimes. You know, the grass isn't always greener. Sometimes it can be a bit more brown. Now, and speaking of, now I've got no segue. Let's go to another side. No, we
1: have the second trade. The second trade, I, I'm not really interested in Jonas Valanciunas. I think he can provide something different, but I just, he would seem like a guy that would get targeted in the series against certain teams just because of his lack of mobility. And obviously he is a force in the paint and he's done some great things, but there's a reason he's having a career year in uh, New Orleans. It's because the Pelicans aren't very good and he's getting a lot of touches.
2: A guy that I don't think was in my replies, but was consistently brought up on spaces. So I'm onto the other tweet now, Nick, i am We've finished that one. Um, Rashawn Holmes. Now we touched on him at the start of the episode. Matt Brooks was quite high on him. when we speak, spoke about him in spaces, you know, Jay from BK, a, a few other guys as well. You know, that rim rolling big, who plays a bit of defense and can you know, switch a, a little bit, probably similar to the extent of what probably Jared Allen can, maybe slightly less like what he's done this season but what Jared Allen probably could provide for us in in seasons past. Rashawn Holmes is a very, very good basketball player.
1: Yeah, I mean, that would definitely be a guy. I think you look at Rashawn Holmes as another guy. It's like, do the Nets have enough to acquire him? What is Sacramento doing? Like, there's just some real confusion. And did the Nets
2: see that he was like, I don't know who was the reporter. It was one of those aggregate sites that said Rashawn Holmes would be made available. Now, I don't know how much I'd buy it, but I saw that.
1: He fits in the trade exception. You know, you might be able to acquire him with a first-round pick, and that's, you know, the r- route that you're going. I think it's not a bad idea. You know, it's giving you a more solidified version of Nick Claxton's role. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's not as switchy. He's not as good defensively, but he's more established offensively, and he has a little bit of a floater and in-between game, which could be really a nice tool. But it's like, uh, it's just like, I don't know if Rashawn Holmes is a guy that I I – feel super confident in, like, going to the postseason, a guy that I'm going to ride with, especially because I don't, I'm not sure if he's even played a postseason game.
2: No, and, and the thing is, you know, Nicholas Claxton provides elite level of switching, so in certain matchups, say, against the Miami Heat, he'd probably be really good, but Rashawn Holmes is probably going to be a better matchup consistently and, and a bit more reliable in terms of the fundamentals that you want from your big, in terms of, you know, drop defense and then, you know, switching on a, On a pinch, you know, against a Milwaukee Bucks, I'd probably choose Rashawn Holmes. You know, against the Sixers, I'd probably choose Rashawn Holmes as well. So, in a greater amount of matchups, you're probably going with, you know, the better player, which is Rashawn Holmes at this point in time. The stats, this season in 25.8 minutes, 12.3 points, 8.1 rebounds to go with 0.4 steals, 1.1 blocks. 1.2 steals is shooting 69.7% from the field. You know, obviously, the fundamentals are really strong with him and You'd expect that number to stay pretty goddamn strong if he was playing alongside James Harden because he is a a wonderful screen roller. Only 28 years old as well, so right in the prime. Great athlete. Um, We're all big Rashawn Holmes fans here at The Buzz and the Clear Out podcast shouting out our guy, Mats Brooks.
1: He gives the Nets... Some athleticism yet still giving them size inside and like some real rebounding, like a guy that's like a true NBA center. Like we've talked about a lot of the guys that we have mentioned or are on the Nets roster aren't necessarily like good on both ends of the floor and can fill that true NBA center stuff. If you can acquire Rashawn Holmes and, you know, even keep Nick Claxton and then have some more options, like that's something you can consider as well. Or maybe it just, you know, you end up moving Nick Claxton here and then, you knew you move Clax in a Dory Finney-Smith trade or something like that because I think he'd be an attractive player for Dallas.
2: Oh, man, he'd be incredible in Dallas. But again, it's always harder for us, I think, as fans to get rid of these guys than it is for you know, guys like Matt Brooks and general NBA media because they're not as invested. It's just, it's a weird sort of thing, the, the whole fandom, you know. It's irrational by nature. So uh, we'll get to a few more, Nick. And speaking of athleticism, you know, Terrence Ross has still certainly got a bit of that. And he was brought up in a trade proposal by Mel Capone at Mel Capone 11. Terrence Ross for Paul Millsap, Bruce Brown, and Javon Carter. I'm, I'm all in on that if the Nets can acquire Terrence Ross for that package.
1: Yeah, I mean, Terrence Ross is a guy that's super inconsistent. He's one of those, like, you know, spotty guys that might pop off the bench and give you, you know, 25, or he might give you five. Like, he's that type of player. But if you're trading things that you don't really value that highly to acquire him, you know, I don't think that's a bad idea.
2: Not at all. No, I I think that I'm, yeah. Terrence Ross is a a decent three point shooter, somewhat streaky, but you know he might
1: go in a game like this. Isn't a playoff series like he might hit seven threes in a game, and then he might hit zero threes the next game.
2: And look, Nick, if you were to guess what his three point shooting percentage this year, you know I think by the that mini giggle, you know you might be able to hazard a guess
1: thirty two percent, thirty
2: point five percent this year. Yeah, it is gone way down And, and. Career numbers: 36.4%, and the Orlando Magic, notorious spaces of the basketball. Yeah, maybe in a different system, you do go buy it. Uh, you do buy into it a little bit, but you know the last two seasons: 33.7%, 35.1%. It's it's very inconsistent across his career. So, but you know, Terrence Ross also gives you a bit of an athletic pop. You know, for for the numbers for the record: 11.6 points, 2.8 boards, two assists, 0.5 steals, 0.3 blocks. 40.5 percent from the field, and like I mentioned, 30.5 percent from three on 4.4 attempts. So, look, the if you're able to get him for that package, I don't, I still think you, you pull the trigger because I think he's infinitely better than any of those players. But that is saying something. Uh, it's just another another guy in the rotation. I just think that in comparison to
1: probably all the names we've
2: discussed, you know, he, he's probably down the bottom of the list.
1: Yeah, and I think like he's also a guy that could end up potentially being bought out maybe Uh, it's funny Terrence ross every time i think about him i just think about when i brought him up over the summer as like a deandre jordan dump site and potentially get him in return but you know Terrence ross not make or break and he's also like i don't want to say questionable in terms of playoff minutes but he's not a guy that you really want to just like hand him over because his shot selection at times can be terrible
2: no definitely um we've got a couple more nick before i guess we we finish with some rumors um, obviously a lot of people provided us a lot of the same players with different packages so I'm sort of going to discount those so I apologize if I don't get to yours but this is why I harder need spacing at scary hours 13-13 fake trade of the day, Nets get Maxi Kleber a 3 and D4 who can play as a small ball 5, also shoots 36% from 3 this season the package is Nets get Maxi Kleber, Mavs get Miles Turner and Bruce Brown, Pacers get Dwight Powell, Javon Carter, Darren Sharp they also get a 2022 second rounder via the Mavs, a 22, a first round of via the Mavs for this year, a 2024 second round of via the Mavs, and that Nets weird Miami pick that you alluded to. Maxi Kleber as a candidate, Nick, I know you've always sort of been a bit of a fan.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't mind him. I think he's a guy that definitely could provide something, and he gives you even, like, a different body and skill type than what you have because he's more of a forward than a five. He gives you that three, and then defensively talked about it, he's been on some, you know, good wings in the past and has done an okay job. He's not an elite athlete, but he has some good size and strength to him.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think that he can also be, you know, a pinch hitter as like a wing guy. I remember against the, the Clippers in the yep. series, he did decent enough on, on Kawhi Leonard every now and then. So you know, maybe he's a, a candidate, you can throw it like a, a Giannis and, and maybe pinch hit against a LeBron or, you know, if you're going to come up against those sort of players, you know, in important matchups. You know, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo. You know, I, I think Max, Maxi Kleber's versatility is probably the, the thing that intrigues you most about him. And again, a, a decent enough three-point shooter. But as we've alluded to, all these guys are are pretty streaky.
1: Yeah, and I I just think, like like you said, that body type would be interesting. Maybe see how he does against Giannis Antetokounmpo or just kind of a different look that they're at some of these wings. Like, even in LeBron at this point of his career, he'd be, uh, I think, a an okay matchup not like you're not feeling confident about it, but at least he's going to have to make him earn some buckets.
2: Definitely. Yeah, I think it'd probably be better than James Johnson, who is probably our 1A or 1B candidate to guard Giannis and all LeBron, you know, with a, a Blake Griffin is probably the other sort of guy. And maybe Kessler Edwards, which is saying something. Yeah. But um, Harnley's spacing. also had another one, Nick, and we discussed this on the spaces a little bit, but we can probably discount the Trevor Ariza element of this and focus, I guess, on Ben Macklemore. So Ben Macklemore goes to the Nets. The Blazers gets Mill and Bon Carter. Uh, and there's a, an array of picks in there with the Miami stuff and the Lakers get Robin Covington. Focusing on the Macklemore element of this, is he the stretch element that the Nets do sorely need and should be clamoring after? You know, I th- think he was signed by a 10-day from you know when all those yeah. goals were happening. So the Nets could have had him.
1: Yeah, I think this is a guy you look at, especially if you're feeling um, not so confident in Joe Harris being back, not to say that he's as good as Joe Harris, but he can provide you that three point spacing. And for some reason, he always shoots well against the net. So, you know, I think I, that's a guy, though, that I would definitely not trade anything more than a second rounder for. Like, I would not trade any of the rookies for him. I wouldn't trade a first rounder for him. It would be, like, a second round pick. And, you know, I, I would, I don't care about Javon Carter or Bruce Brown or Paul Millsap in terms of losing them in that trade. But just nothing more than a second round pick asset.
2: Yeah, and maybe, like, if you're putting, you know, like you sort of alluded to, the, the Nets put protections on there first and they get two seconds in return. To yeah. Of, you know, clear the, uh, increase the, the covered... Whatever the closet? I don't know what sort Hubbard. of... Cupboard. Oh, that's whatever. You know, wherever Sean Marks keeps his...
1: Treasure kids. chest. Treasure chest, there we go.
2: There's a, a lot of different places that, you know, GMs put their stuff. Um, for the record, he is shooting 42.3% from three on the year on 5.6 attempts. That is the number that does matter.
1: But he's, he's good a, off ball, too, moving. Like, he's a good... He just will make you work that end of the floor.
2: He played, I think, with, with James Harden and then the same... Yeah did um i don't think his numbers were as great then in fact i'll take a quick look because i've got it open so his houston numbers in 2020 2021 he was shooting only 33.1 from three on 5.2 attempts so streaky is certainly you can make an argument for but i don't think he's a streak. i think he's reliability from the arc he's not joe harris or but he's probably closer to like a patty mills type you know patty mills can be somewhat streaky uh, a little bit here and there but I think this season he's throwing some of those inconsistencies out the window but yeah Ben Marklemore hopefully the the Nets are, are making the calls to Again, the GM home, I just don't know because you know Portland are just doing so many different things with their organization.
1: And I think it makes it, the trades more likely if the Nets end up trying to make a splash move with Joe Harris and this is a guy they look to acquire to fill in that you know, shooting. Like we, we haven't really talked about any Joe Harris potential trades because I don't think that they're super likely, like we mentioned, with him being injured and also just how bad the Nets desperately need his spacing.
2: That's it. So, and we're mm-hmm. gonna, We'll run through a few more, Nick, before I guess we, we finish with the requisite James Harden news. Uh, via Kevin Wayne Durant stand at cam underscore season 24. Carl Anderson goes to the Nets and the Grizzlies acquire him in return Paul Mills out, Bruce Brown, Javon Carter, a 2026 second rounder via the Nets and a 2025 second rounder that Miami won. I mean, I, I like that package.
1: I don't think it's enough, probably, for Memphis. I think oh. also you like when you're trading like three or four players for one like it's tougher for that team because either they need to find a roster spot for this player or they just need to waive them and then just complicates things a little bit. So uh, I'm not opposed to the Nets acquiring Kyle Anderson. It's just that I'm not sure if this will be enough to get it done. And like one, it's essentially one second round pick for Kyle Anderson and some other contracts. And like, you don't want to waive Javon Carter because he has another year on his deal too so it's like then you're stuck keeping him on your team unless you want to have that minus four million for next year on your cat book
2: yeah so that's something to consider but I think we're all Kyle Anderson fans in terms of you know some stretchability really really good defender I thought
1: you were talking like slow on purpose because of like slow-mo <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: I don't know, I, I, literally um so yeah i I think i'll find these stats Nick, in terms of you know the numbers because you know i gotta give it to the fans or at least the listeners uh what do you think of kyle anderson in in terms of as a fit on on brooklyn
1: yeah i think as he's developed as a three-point shooter he's gotten better from that area so that makes him more viable you know defensively he's he's solid he's got some good size to him his rebounding is actually i think pretty good as well i mean he's not a great athlete though so that is a minus for him but Again, the Nets can't be, you know, uh, beggars can't be choosers in this situation.
2: You got there, mate. I get tongue-tied on this podcast. (laughs) And now that I'm hosting it, I'll be probably doing that a couple more times now that I'm back in town and the Nets are on a a couple of road trips. The numbers for Kyle Anderson, 8.2 points, and this is for this season, 2.6 assists, 5.3 rebounds. So as you mentioned, the past couple of seasons has been around that sort of five-rebound mark, so it's really solid there. Similar in a sort of Kessler-Edwards type is what I sort of like to think. Um, 1.1 steals, 0.6. 0.6 Point six blocks, 35.1% uh, from three. Only on 1.9 attempts, 43.6% from the field. Last year is where the number sticks out a little bit more because of the volume, 36% from three on 3.8 attempts. That's what probably uh, warms you a little bit. And he's younger than I thought. He's only 28.
1: Yeah, he's not bad age-wise. I think it's just the fact that his name is Lomo, not very athletic, not a great hairline either. So,
2: Anderson <laughs> is catching some stress. We're trying to get him to Brooklyn, not like keep him away from it.
1: I mean, he's still, I mean, he's a millionaires NBA professional, NBA athlete. So credit him for that. So I'd be happy to switch roles with him. But um, you know, we'll see what happens with Kyle Anderson. It'll be interesting to see if Memphis wants to move him or they just look to keep him for depth on their team because he is a solid player and. Obviously, the rotation is getting a little bit full, but he's a guy that can contribute.
2: Definitely. I'm a, I'm a slow-mo fan. In a similar way to sort of like, you know, Larry Nance Jr. You know, in terms of as a defensive force, I think he could be maybe the most valuable out of the guys that we have discussed uh, in, in a lot of respects because of his strength, his savviness, his basketball IQ. Now, those are all the, the trades that have been provided to me on my timeline and the responses. But you know I me, mean, Nick, I'm, I'm a goddamn sicko. I scour Nets Twitter us for every little crumb that I can find. This is why Brooklyn Nets 85, BKN 85. So this trade proposes gets Ish Smith to the Brooklyn Nets and Robert Covington. This is a four-way one, so keep up with me. The focus is Ish Smith, Robert Covington, they're Brooklyn Nets. Hornets get Ben Malcolm or Yusuf Nurkic. Celtics get Bruce Brown uh, and a 2024 second uh, via Charlotte's, which also goes via Boston, I think. That, so they get their one back, I believe. The Trailblazers get James Johnson, Javon Carter, PJ Washington. <sighs> Who's that player, Nick? I'm not sure. V. v- I don't even know who that Vernon
1: is. Vernon Carey, maybe? I'm not sure either.
2: There you go. So it shows what we know. We, are, we are, only you know. We're not guys.
1: Hornets podcast, so it's okay. Uh, we don't have to know they're 12 through 15.
2: I mean, they used, they stole the buzz thing from us, let's be honest. Uh, a three <laughs> second <laughs> second rounder, a 2028 first rounder, 2022 second rounder, and a 2026 second rounder. That's some sicko mode shit from Brooklyn Nets 85, but let's focus on the ish Smith scenario because it gives you like the secondary ball handler you alluded to, and Robert Cummington, who we've discussed. So I guess you can focus on the ish Smith side of things, then.
1: Yeah, I mean, for the Nets, it's a solid trade. You know, they give up the first-round pick. They get rid of Javon Carter, James Johnson, Bruce Brown. You know, maybe you even swap Paul Millsap in that James Johnson slot or, you know, try to include him because you want to get rid of him. Um, but Ish is a guy that I think we even mentioned during the offseason that's a potential, you know, veteran point guard to add as, you know, third string or second string, and he's a guy that can create, gets penetration, Weirdly enough, shoots very well against the Nets. I watched it firsthand this year at the Nets' home opener. You know, he had a great game there, too. Um, and then Covington's a guy that we've talked about a lot. You know, that could be a pretty big potential add. I think uh, looking at the trade, does Portland want to do this? Maybe. I'm not really sure. Or honestly, does Charlotte want to do this? For for me, looking at Charlotte, like Ben McElmore, cool. Joseph Nurkic, Yeah, they've been trying to acquire the center, but Nurkic, I'm not sure if he's that guy, especially when uh, it looks like Charlotte's giving up, what, four second-round picks and P.J. Washington. That's probably a no for me from that perspective. We'll go
2: to one of these other trades, Nick, and this works out pretty goddamn well for the Nets because they get two of the top candidates we were alluding to in, Batum and Nance. The Clippers get Robert Covington and Bruce Brown. The Blazers get Ken Birch, Chris Boucher, David Duke Jr., and I'll just say a variety of picks, let's put it that way. Yep. Uh, the Raptors get Serge Ibaka back, they get Javon Carter, they get Clack City, as well as a couple of picks too. This for the Nets is almost a dream come true. You know, yeah. You're know, you giving up Clacks, which would be disappointing, but you are getting two credible rotation players in return
1: yeah i mean this might be one of the best trades i think it's just trying to get the other teams to accept you know i mean for the clippers though getting robert covington to replace nicholas Batum makes it viable because then you look at covington as a guy that we can use next year i think his contract might be up so that provides a little bit of an issue but you know the raptors like they're just essentially what just taking on a lot of contracts or giving up uh boucher and birch who are guys i don't think that they're super high on because they've been mentioned as a team trying to acquire more of a an impact big you know they've been tied to guys like sabonis and stuff like that so i think this trade is not completely out of the realm of possibility maybe you know there'd be some different moving parts but if the nets could get nicholas batum and really only be giving up, you know, Nick Claxton and some second-round picks because I think they're not even giving up their first-round pick in this situation. Which they might if they ever did have to make this trade. You'd feel really good because now Larry Nance and Nicholas Batum are essentially becoming the Nets, you know, sixth and seventh best player.
2: And they what? could be. They could start and finish games for the Nets.
1: Yeah. I mean, they could easily, you could argue they could be their fourth and fifth uh, best player, you know, behind the big three, you know, they're competing with Joe Harris and Patty Mills who are both great players, but you could argue the versatility of Batum and Nance could even almost be more intriguing. You know, they're not, neither guy is as elite as Joe Harris is at three point shooting, but they also do a a lot of things pretty good.
2: Definitely. So I think that that is one that Nets fans would clamor for uh, quite quite a lot because you know the depth in the rotation increases tenfold. Uh, and this
1: would lock them in back as the clear-cut favorite in the NBA if they made this trade.
2: I would be close to that. I think I'm still just hesitant about you know, the
1: other. Well, Kyrie, you know, like if Kyrie's playing, it's it, obviously I'm assuming the big three is healthy. But this would almost be the the perfect supporting cast.
2: Yeah, I mean, if the big three are healthy and this trade is made, then you know, lock it up. Um I think if... Even just, if the,
1: you know, watch out for Giannis' feet.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> watch out for a lot of feet, it seems. Um, there was another guy the other day. Who was it? Nasir Little. You know, watch out for his feet as well. Yeah. If the, it's a play in the Blazers. So, uh, watch I, out I, for
1: Grayson Allen, you know, then the Bucks might post a GIF of him the next day.
2: Yeah, donuts. Um, in in <laughs> all honesty, I just think that if the Nets' big three are healthy, you know, the ancillary pieces should be able to take care of themselves. But, you know, you always want to give yourself... The, the best amount of leeway and just have depth quality uh, as much as you can. But
1: You want to make the path as easy as possible. I think that's something that people underestimate. They're like, oh, well, the Nets can win. No, nah, it doesn't really matter if they can win because you also have to include into the equation what are the Warriors doing? What are the Bucks doing? Are they acquiring another high-level player that can add to their rotation that you're competing with? You know what I mean? So you can't. you always have to try to continue to be the best version of yourself even if you're already the best team in the league
2: definitely now we've got i guess a, a few random names as buyer candidates sort of fringe sort of guys nick first one i wanted to touch on was you know when we're talking about shooting matt thomas not a bad shooting sort of guy probably doesn't get a, a heap of credit but if you don't you're offloading someone like a paul Millsap, then maybe you know he could sort of be an ancillary fit and this is via nets breakdown at bk breakdown he threw that um out there but I don't hate Matt Thomas as just another spacer in the mold of, you know, a Ben Macklemore type.
1: Yeah, he'd be a great filler for rotation minutes in the regular season. You know, he's not a guy you would play in the postseason, but you're trading Paul Millsap an asset that doesn't really have much value. And it, then it gives you more time to play it safe with the Joe Harris injury too. You know, like Joe Harris going in and out of the lineup, resting him a little bit more, whatever it might be. You know, I think Matt Thomas isn't bad at all. And he's, like you said, an elite shooter. You know, and the limited minutes I've seen him play, it feels like every time he steps on the floor, he hits a three.
2: Yeah, he's, the minutes is where you sort of look at it. But like, you know, his form, his mechanics, his numbers... You know, you extrapolate the volume from where he's playing, like, you know, 10 to 12 minutes, and you make it, you know, 20 minutes. You double the number from 2.5 to 5. You know, he's, this season, 44.1% from three. I think last year in in Utah was a bit of an aberration. A career 42% three-point shooter. You know, I think he's around that sort of, you know, high 30s to you know low 40s sort of three-point shooter. Honestly,
1: I think he's a 40% three-point shooter. Like, I think his shot is that good and he looks that confident. For me, it's probably more so of just not being in the rotation, not having that rhythm. You know, like when you, like even the jump for Joe Harris, when he started getting real minutes, I feel like it was easier for him and he started to feel more confident. So, like, I, I don't know if Matt Thomas will ever get there because I think there's other deficiencies in his game. But just as a pure shooter, he's really good. Probably a typical
2: white guy who could get paid <laughs> for shooting. And you know, Sean Marks has done that before with Joe Harris. Maybe he's got a Joe Harris 2.0. So you know, I think Matt Thomas could fit pretty nicely on the Brooklyn Nets. I want to ask you, Nick, if you think Kemba Walker could fit nicely on the Nets. And this is via Russell and Fro, uh, as well as Brian Windhorst. In conversations this week with teams, the Knicks have expressed a willingness to trade some of their veterans. Including Kemba Walker, Fournier, and Alec Burst as the Knicks want to clear a rotation spot for Cam Reddish. Now, the Nets TPE, you know, that's where you could probably, I think they have a couple of different TPEs. Yep. So the two biggest
1: of, one I believe, are 11.4 and 6.3.
2: There you go. Those are the numbers. And I think Kemba Walker's on about $9 million contract yep. or something around that sort of range. And if the Nets don't have, you know, Kyrie Irving, it's like, you know, the the, the old meme, uh, can, Mom, can we get Kyrie Irving? i oh, we've already got Kyrie Irving at home. It's essentially, if we have Kyrie Irving at home, it'll be... Kemba Walker, and it's not you know the best thing, but it's like going from five guys to maybe McDonald's. Like McDonald's is fine, or yeah. as as Aussies would say, mackers. But you know, I don't think any of you you guys the way you say mackers like mackers. Um, but yeah, if you have you have a mackers burger, it's not the worst thing though. It hits the spot. Occasionally makes you feel a little bit sick, you know, because it just the guy. It just—it's it a lot of
1: grease,
2: <laughs> uh, and I'll, you know, he, half the time, you know, the, the player is just the burger. Sorry, the burger or the player just keeps smiling and doesn't actually hit a shot for you. But we also saw some flamethrower moments from Kemba Walker. But this would be a, a, a pretty interesting situation. I, I'm not sure of his viability, but
1: we'd it'd just, be fun. Yeah. I think uh, like there's a small possibility Kemba could get bought out. I think Kemba would be the type to be willing to give money back so he could get bought out and play in a team. Obviously, he's from the city. Uh, He was a big Knicks fan, but that could change when he signs with the Nets. I I honestly would not mind. Kemba would be a guy that I would love as a third-string point guard. Like, as a guy that's just playing when Kyrie can't play or, like, someone got hurt and you need someone to have a big five minutes in the playoffs, like, he might just hit two pull-up threes. Like, obviously, there's huge deficiencies with him defensively and his size and his inconsistency and, obviously, age catching up to him. But – it's the potential of a resurgence in a limited role, similar to what we saw from Blake Griffin last year. The Knicks signed him in the expectation of him coming in and being their star point guard. He's not that guy anymore, but he might be able to be that guy for ten minutes a game in a very specific role.
2: Nick, water gun to your head, Kemba Walker or Mike James?
1: Oh, Kemba Walker. This that's not even hard. I mean, not to say that I like. Obviously, I don't really hate Mike James, but like. It's- <laughs> Kemba Kemba Walker is obviously done some really good things in the NBA. I also think like Kemba Walker just seems like a really great guy to have around your team.
2: Yeah, no, but he's um, always smiling, and you know we always hear positive things about him. And you know the way he handled the the exit from Charlotte, you know, he'd be a, a the way nice. he's
1: handling the Nick situation is really like extremely respectful.
2: Yeah, no doubt, and his numbers this year are pretty good: thirteen points, three point two rebounds. 3.4 assists, 38.8% from three, 41% from the field. You know he probably wouldn't be closing games for you, but you know as a guy who would be a, a another version of Patty Mills with maybe a little bit more facilitation and maybe somewhat more shot creation in different. I houses. think
1: he could really facilitate the this a second string offense. Like he he's not like the same creator and playmaker he once was, but he could just take like ball handling is not an issue for him at all.
2: No, he's a, he's a good ball handler. He's a good shot creator for most parts, you know, I think he's lost a little bit there, yep. uh, and I think he's just general size of being six foot, you know, I think Paddy Mills is a much better defender than he is just given his peskiness, I think he's uh, his effort, whereas I think Kemba is, you know, just a, a bit of a sieve on that in the floor, but, you know, getting him for his defense, so we'll wait and see, maybe Kemba, cardiac Kemba um, gets sick of the, the spotlight at MSG and decides to go to the dimmer lights at Barclays Centre
1: yeah, I mean, it, I wouldn't rule it out as a possibility. I think the trade is less likely. The buyout is more likely.
2: Another biggest buyout, Nick, via uh, Bill Simmons and Brian windhorse on their podcast discussed there's a possibility Sergio Barker gets bought out by the Los Angeles Clippers after the trade deadline. Uh, he could be a target as he also thinks it may be best for him to sit tight and wait for everything to clear. That's what uh, Brian windhorse said on the Bill Simmons pod. Now, we... Uh, I can't remember how many different memes I did about Serge Ibaka during his free agency and joining the Nets. And we know he's got the relationship with James Harden, Kevin Durant, and, and all those sort of guys. Now, he's obviously lost a little bit. I think injuries are starting to catch up to him. I think his age is also starting to catch up to him a little bit. But as a buyout candidate, Serge Ibaka, you know, might be prime A. And we know the Nets know, if the Nets get Serge Ibaka as a buyout guy, I think he could be have the impact in a similar fashion that we might have saw of Blake Griffin last year.
1: Yeah, I think that's would be what you're hoping for. Because right now, like the way he's played, I'm not sure how much of an impact he could really have on the Nets. It would have to be some type of resurgence, some juice. We touched on in the spaces he dealt with a back injury last year, and I think even this year a little bit. You know, you look at him for his ability to shoot at the big man position, but then it's like, you know, defensively, he's not really that great anymore. He still can block some shots. He can still do some things. But the intriguing thing about him was he wasn't terrible in space as he's progressed pretty much since that last season in Toronto. He just hasn't looked the same defensively. So, like, it, it, you would have to just bank on him really kind of popping off when he came to the team. Because right now I'm just not sure how much of a boost he would really give the Nets.
2: No, and look, I didn't necessarily know what Blake Griffin would provide it in all the months. Yeah. Or would provide but both of those guys... As buyout, vet minimum guys have worked out. You know, you can say what you want, but these guys are, you judge them on vet minimum contracts. And and if they are giving you some semblance of rotation value, the Marcus orders is giving you that. And I think, you know, Blake Griffin is still probably at that and was exceeding it last year. So who knows? Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. Now, probably the news that everyone wanted us to talk about at the start, Nick, but, you know, we're going to keep things a bit more basketball-centric and, you know, a bit... We're not. We didn't chase the clicks here.
1: We're, we're talking about the weather in New York. No. <laughs> no, 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 no,
2: we are talking about the strip clubs in New York. Maybe no. In um, we're, ch- we're chatting James Harden finally now. A couple of different things here. I've attached a few links. Now the update that we got via uh, Vinny Goodwill on the Ben Simmons James Harden talk is he said this. I do believe that Shaw Marks has on the table a James Harden for Simmons and Maxi deal and a combination of filler and picks that he's just not entertaining right now. It's a fine deal, you know, I think if you're the Brooklyn Nets, um, but, you know, Someone might
1: call the Nets and offer 10 first-round picks for Kevin Durant. (laughs) Like, it's not crazy to get bad... Like, not they're not even bad offers. They're just offers you're not going to entertain because your goal is to win a championship, not to trade.
2: Yeah, and I think Donald Morey, you know, he he knows he's probably got, like, packages from Sacramento and, you know, Indiana and all these sort of things, and he's not picking up the phone. So it's just like... And I, I, I attached this link to Reddit, Nick, because it was the, I remember listening to Bobby Marks and the Zach Lowe pod as well discuss, you know, James Harden a little bit. Um, and he also, I think, discussed this on YouTube. Uh, yeah, I think it was on the, um, somewhere on ESPN. And I want to touch on some of the main points on why the ball is so far in Brooklyn's court that, um, but at the same time, you know, when you are a prime A superstar, you generally go where you want. But Maybe James Harden has taken a step down from being prime A to prime A minus.
1: Well, and also before you jump into it, Jack, he's in a different situation because he's not the lead superstar on this team. Kevin Durant is the lead superstar in this team. So yeah, you want to talk all this shit and like demand a trade. It's not the same as if KD did. If KD did, the Nets would be in shambles. If James Harden does, now you're potentially ruining the relationship with one of your good friends and Kevin Durant. And also you're just causing a huge fuss after you just demanded a trade to this location a year and change
2: yeah that's it at the end of the day so look I'll jump into some of these things so one there's a 70 million dollar difference in the contracts between Harden signing with the Nets or Harden signing with another team as a free agent so the Nets can give Harden five years 270 million dollars a lot of money I'm not sure if you if James Harden is worth that right now but obviously James Harden has been a guy that has you know, prioritise getting the bag as a, a lot of players should and do. Uh, whereas another team could only offer him five years, two hundred million dollars. Um, if another team were to go after him to move into another team, the Nets need to decide if they want to go in a new direction. If Harden wasn't in the team, the Nets hold all the leverage uh, in getting a haul for him. So they they would ask, they should ask for getting not just Simmons and Maxi. Give us Seth, give us Thybul, give us all your first rounders. You know, in that sort of sign and trade scenario. But you know, the Sixers might choose to go. Oh well. He's a technically an unrestricted free agent. Why why don't we why don't we just get him there? Maybe that's how they decide. I think
1: for the Sixers to outright sign him, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it would take some extreme levels of cap gymnastics. And it was brought up, I think, on the uh, Zach Lowe, Bobby Marks podcast, and they talked about how it is possible, but they'd have to unload the likes of a Tobias Harris contract, a Ben Simmons contract, not take anything back, and then also potentially have to unload another contract, especially if James Harden is looking to get, you know, the full amount of money.
2: No, and we discussed it on the the last pod, the the words reports and everything. I think that there's, you know, s- enough smoke to to keep discussing it, but I hope this doesn't turn into a Ben Simmons scenario where you know our our podcast turns turned into like Kyrie chatter and James Harden chatter. It's just sort of just like, yeah, it's cool because sometimes it's clout and it's talking points, but we also enjoy talking about, you know, Ben McElroy and Matt Thomas joining the Brooklyn Nets. Those are fun talking points for us, but at the same time, you know, it is a worthwhile discussion points. We've discussed it. Check out the last pod, and, you know, it's towards sort of the end of the podcast if you don't want to listen to the game recap. Listen to those sort of last sort of 10, 15 minutes. Nick and I discuss in-depth the woes reports, James Harden's frustrations, and we may have a guest coming soon to discuss more of this James Harden stuff. He might be a person who actually reported this in the first place. So stay tuned. We're working on some things behind the scenes.
1: And I got one more thought. I think like uh, this potentially could also be a leverage play from James Harden and trying to make sure that he gets the money that he wants from the Nets. And nobody is more interested in James Harden than Daryl Morey. So it's almost like a perfect match. And like, yeah you know, there is a chance that Harden could really be interested in there. But I think deep down, he probably wants to stay in Brooklyn. He probably wants to win a championship. He established all this stuff. I know there was mentions on Nets Twitter of like all the money he's invested in uh, business ventures. And not to say you have to live in the state, but, you know, it does help when you can, you know, take a, a Uber or take a ride to whatever you're working on, rather than have to hop on a plane or something like that. So, you know, I think, there's definitely credence to this and there is some you know, real information here, but at the end of the day, it's so far away and so many things can change as we mentioned on previous shows. Like, I'm not really in a fuss about it yet.
2: Yeah, Daryl Morris is, is more obsessed with James Harden than I am with Paddy Mills. And yeah. that is telling you something, ladies and gentlemen.
1: It really is. Just check Jack's Twitter feed uh, during a <laughs> game night. Uh, yeah, but- don't
2: check it. Don't check it, but do follow it at Jack Manuel, J-A-C-M-A-N-U-E double and at Nick Faye at nick underscore faye underscore
1: jack anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here
2: i think we got pretty deep into this one we got deep into the weeds we dissected all the candidates dissected the packages and stuff bit of evergreen content we'll see look uh, there's just a part of me because it just seems to happen whenever we like jump off wax that a trade happens or something crazy will happen and at, at least 80 percent to 90 percent of this podcast should hopefully be re-listenable for the next you know two to three weeks
1: yeah uh, hopefully up until at least like the few days before the trade deadline. but you never know things could change we could see a splash or rumors tomorrow or who knows what really could happen but jack always a pleasure big thanks everybody for listening check the buzz on all stream platforms
2: i'm mark chapman welcome to the planet premier league podcast